0: Luke. We've been in the book of James, but uh, we looked at a number of parables of of Jesus through the holiday club. And when we came to this one, I thought I need to speak about this on Sunday. It's uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, page 1042 in your pure Bibles, 1042. Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Jesus answered, love, sorry, He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor?' In reply, Jesus said, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho "'when he fell into the hands of robbers. "'They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, "'and went away, leaving him half dead.'" a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. We, Father, in the weakness of my words, we ask that we would sense and indeed hear the, the strength of the voice of our God. Help us to hear, to receive, to live in the light of your words, that we may bring honor to your name, that we may further the cause of the kingdom of Christ Jesus, and that we may know the joy that comes to those who live wisely and well. As they follow Jesus. Be unto us all that we need in this time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, the story of the Good Samaritan, so familiar to most of us and so challenging to all of us uh, we, we we know how the story goes on one occasion an expert of the law that's not uh you know a Digby Brown it's an expert of uh, the, the the scriptural law the Jewish law we might say a Bible scholar comes to Jesus with a question uh, and there's much to commend this man to us. There's a lot that he does, a lot that he says that is good. The question that he brings to Jesus is a good question, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So, we know next to nothing about this Bible scholar. We don't know his name. We don't know his background. We don't know what type of personality he had, we know next to nothing, but we do know that in this encounter with Jesus, he brings to Jesus a good question. An important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the right question. He speaks out a question that far too many people leave Unspoken. He faces a fact that far too many people spend their whole lives trying not to face. Some of us try to, to, to deaden ourselves to a, a sense of longing for the eternal. And we might use any number of things. We might use the television sets that sit in our living rooms. We might use entertainment. We might use our, you know, career progression. We might use whatever cheap, easy pleasures are available to us at any given time just to not think about the reality of death and what might lie beyond death. But God has placed eternity in the human heart. We all have this longing to live, not just for uh, 60 or 70 or, you know, 100 years. We all have this longing to, 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 to conquer death. And this man comes to Jesus with the right question. He doesn't bury this the, this this question that arises in our minds. Is this all there is? Could there be more? Could there be a way of having life beyond death? He doesn't bury those questions. He presents this question to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Actually, the way he words the question is good as well, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So there seems to be an assumption that he realises, he recognises that he can't earn eternal life. None of us have earned our lives. We just arrived, the 28th of February, 1980. I, didn't, I, I hadn't earned my existence. I hadn't done anything good or bad. I just popped into the world. And I suppose we could all say, in a sense... Our parents give us the gift of life. And in the same or similar sense, we might say that none of us can earn eternal life. We need God the Father to give us, to gift us eternal life. And that's the kind of imagery that this Bible scholar uses. What must I do to inherit Eternal life. So, the right question, a good question, and he brings the right question to the right person. So, there are a lot of people in this world who don't hide from the, this question, the right question, the good question, the important question, the question that matters most. They don't hide from it but they take it to the wrong people or to the wrong places. And there are any number of falsehoods that people embrace as they try to find answers to this question. Satan is the great deceiver and he has so many agents of deception telling people all sorts of falsehoods as to how they can live forever, how they can conquer death, how they can be ready. But this man brings the right question to the right person. He presents his question not to lesser lords, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to other leaders, not to so-called holy men of whom there have been and are many masquerading as people who can answer this question. He brings his question to Jesus, but Jesus doesn't give this man a direct answer, which makes sense given he is a scholar of the Bible. So Jesus holds to the truth of Scripture. This man would would claim to hold to the truth of Scripture. So he says to him, well, you know your Bible. You know your stuff. What does it say? How do you read it? What do you think? So the man brings the right question to the right person, and he also gives the right answer. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He even recognizes that these two things are tied together. We've spoken about that a bit as we've studied James recently, haven't we? That the way we treat God is bound together with the way we treat other people. We might want to to tease them apart at times to treat God well, to be on God's good side, but to treat people badly. But the Lord doesn't allow us to do that. And, and, and this man recognizes that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The right question to the right person, the right answer to the question. Jesus uh, responds by saying, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live But then things start to go badly wrong. This man who has got so much so right displays the fact that he has got something very, very wrong. Trying to justify himself, Scripture says, he comes back to Jesus with another question. And who is my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love like I love myself? Where where is the line drawn? Is it my own family? Is it my own community? Is it my own religious group? Is it all of the Jewish people? Where is the line drawn? How far do I have to go? What's the least I can get away with? Is maybe the question he's asking. My family, my fellow Jews, my street, my town, my nation. That is the wrong question. And we shouldn't be surprised because as we go back to verse 25, we see that he came to Jesus with the wrong motive. He came to the right person for the wrong reason. He came to test Jesus. He wants to put Jesus on the dock. And everyone, anyone who tries to put Jesus on the dock will sooner or later find that they cannot judge Jesus. Jesus will be the one who will judge them. And so Jesus tells a story, he tells a parable. A man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a very common journey, but a very dangerous journey. It's a windy road and there are uh, caves and hills and valleys and hiding places for robbers to jump out uh, and to, to mug people en route. Uh, it was a famous uh, place For uh, robbers to to hide. And so, the story starts sadly in a fairly ordinary way. It wouldn't have been that unusual for someone to have been mugged on that road. Uh, And another thing about this road between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho is that it was a favorite road for people who had been serving in the temple. So, they've done their stint of service in the temple they go home along this road, and often they may well be mugged on the way. So thus far the story is very normal. Uh, the man is 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 mugged, uh, no surprise. As a priest passes by, he's presumably been at the temple fulfilling his priestly duties and now he's on his way home. He's been serving God. He's been trying to help people come close to God by offering sacrifices. That's the role of the priest. And if anyone should see things from God's perspective, it is him. He is regarded as a godly man, a good man. And this man, regarded as a good man, a godly man, this man who has been working in the temple with the things of God, trying to bring people closer to God, he sees this man who has been mugged, who is lying half-dead, Scripture says, on the road, and he crosses to the other side and walks away. so to the Levite. The Levite's a man who, who, who would have helped with the maintenance and the, the running of the temple. So another person who has just left what would have been regarded as the most holy place on earth, the place that God dwells, that's where he's left. He's walking along the road. He sees the man lying half dead, and he crosses to the other side and walks on. Then enter this third man, the Samaritan. He sees the man lying on the road. We don't get a glimpse into the thought life of these people. What, What was the priest thinking? What was the Levite thinking? Maybe they didn't want to become ritually unclean and pure if they thought the man was dead. Maybe they thought they'd done their bit for God. They'd just been serving in the temple. It was time to clock off from their service of God. Maybe they thought this man deserved it. He probably got his comeuppance. Maybe he was a robber. And now he tried to mug someone. They hit him. He's lying in the street half dead well that's what he deserves or maybe they think the attackers might still be about some kind of trap and as they go to help they'll be mugged as well who knows what they think what matters is not what they thought what matters is what they did or what they didn't do They, they they did nothing to help that's what matters they walked away from the suffering walked away from the need walked away from the mess walked away from the risk, but this third man, a Samaritan, and you know, don't you, that the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of uh, mixed up, they held to a kind of perverted version of the Hebrew Bible, so it's like the Scriptures mixed in with all sorts of other Writings, um, full of half truths, uh, and they they were they were hated for for all that they were, for all that they taught, and for all that they did. And the feeling was very much mutual. So this Samaritan comes along the road, sees this Jewish man lying there, half dead, and you expect. You don't expect, because you know the story, but you would, in the culture of the day, expect this man to cross the road and to walk on by, or maybe to have a wee look to see if he could steal a watch or, you know, take anything from him before he dies, and then to walk away. But this man loved his neighbor as himself. He had compassion, he stooped down to help. He was the one, the only one who saw the situation from God's perspective, amazingly. And so, I want to bring, it's a, a, a sermon full of questions, I want to bring three more questions, I'll do it as quickly as I can, three more questions. Firstly. Who are we to love? Who are we to love as children of God, as followers of Jesus? Who are we called to love? We are called to love our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is the person that God has placed on our path, our neighbor is the person within our reach. Our neighbour is a person that God has given us resources with which we would be able to love and to help and to bless. Now, we pause there for a moment to remember that we are living in 2018, and our reach can be very far because we're living in a world with broadband and with uh, aeroplanes and with Missionary organizations. So, so maybe some of us sponsor a, a child in India uh, or a missionary or a missionary organization. There are all sorts of things, all sorts of options that are open to us to help people further afield. But I still think that our primary responsibility is the people around us. So we have to... Uh, We are to love without a line. We're not just to love people within our uh, family, people within our neighborhood, people within our town or our nation, or people within our wee um, social grouping, people in the same class, people from the same background. All of these lines are rubbed out. They're swept away. We are just to love the people we are able to love, we are able to reach. And the most obvious people that we are able to love, that we are able to reach, is the people around us. Are we loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Even if they're wrong, even if they're undeserving, even if they're ungrateful. The Samaritan means test this half-dead man lying in the road. He didn't give him a form to fill out. He saw the need and he met that need with what he had. Do we see the need? And are we willing to meet the need with what God has given us? There was a very influential writing uh, around the time... Uh, that Jesus told this story. It had been written 180 years before Jesus, but it was very influential and it's still in existence today. Uh, It was written by a man called Jesus, son of Sirach. And this is what it says regarding who God's people should love. So, this is not Our Jesus, and this is not from Scripture. Let's be crystal clear. If you do good, it says, know to whom you do it, and you will be thanked for your good deeds. Do good to the devout, and you will be repaid. If not by them, certainly by the Most High. No good comes to the one who persists in evil. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread, and do not give it to them. For by means of it, they may subdue you. So you see the advice there, don't strengthen someone who might use that strength to attack you, to subdue you. Uh, for by means of it they might subdue you, then you will receive twice as much evil for all the good you have done to them, for the Most High also hates sinners and will inflict punishment on the ungodly. Give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. Never trust your enemy, for like corrosion in copper, so is his wickedness. Even if he humbles himself and walks bowed down, take care to be on your guard against him. Do not put him next to you, or he may overthrow you and take your place. Do not let him sit at your right hand, or else he may take your own seat. And at last you will realize the truth of my words and be stung by what I have said. Wow. Let's now compare the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, with Jesus, the son of God. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of of your Father in heaven. Who is within your reach to love? Who has God placed on your path? And how will you love them this week or this month? What will you do to love them with the love of Christ? How will you be faithful in following your Lord? How will you bear a resemblance to your heavenly Father? How will you love your neighbor? How are we to, Who are we to love, rather? Secondly, how are we to love? Well, the love that Jesus shows us in this parable is love that cares, isn't it? A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word, took pity, or translated by the NIV, took pity, actually means he felt for him inside. It's a feeling. Uh, it's, so, so it's more than, than pity. It's, it's what we would call empathy. He sees the suffering, and he feels something of that suffering inside him. It affected him personally. In the age of, of, of 24 hours, our news and the internet, uh, you know, all of the suffering of the world kind of pours into our living rooms every day. And the great danger is that we see so much of it that we become numbed to it, that we feel nothing. I mean, even when we see things that are utterly horrendous, horrific, awful, unimaginable, we feel nothing. And I think all of us—maybe I'm just a terrible person—I don't know—but I think all of us face that issue, face that problem. It's—it's it's so big. There's so much of it. We're so aware of it that we are—we are we're numb. We're, we're, it's like we're immunised against it. It doesn't have the impact that it should have. And so we need to pray time and time again, day after day, that God would cause us to have the heart that He has for the people who are suffering around us. To feel something of the pain that they feel. To be willing to take it to ourselves. It's love that cares. And it's love that costs All love, true love, costs. It's good that we should feel something when we see suffering, but it's not enough. enough. The Samaritan's compassion led to action. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, that's a lot of money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and, I, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. It was costly to help this man. He risked his own personal safety to stoop down to help. He risked his reputation. What self respecting Samaritan would ever help a Jew? He used his own clothes, presumably, to, to bind up the wounds of this Jewish man. He used his own oil and wine. He spent his own money on the inn. He wrote, essentially, a blank check in promising to pay the cost if there were more expenses incurred. And more than all of that, he used his time. So, so this road's... This between Jerusalem and Jericho, it's not a place that that you would have gone just for a walk, just to take in the scenery. It's a dangerous road. You only go along this road if you have to. If there's somewhere you have to be, if there's something you have to do. So presumably, he's on his way to do something. He's going somewhere. But he takes the time to cancel his plans, to interrupt his schedule, to have his day inconvenienced, to have his diary overruled, and to help the suffering person that God has placed on his path without any promise of being paid back. This man, for all he knew, might hate Samaritans, but nevertheless, he paid the price of costly compassion and love. Love that cares, love that costs, and love that crosses divides, as we've already thought about. It's love for the other, even when they're wrong, even when they're different, even when they're undeserving, even when they might well not appreciate it or reciprocate, uh, or in the words of Jesus, even when they are your enemy. Love as you have been loved by God the Father. In Jesus the Son. New Testament scholar Walter Liefeld says, Love should not be limited by its object. Its extent and quality are in the control of its subject. Love should not be limited by its object, its extent and quality are in the control of its subject. That's what we see when we look to the love of God, isn't it? Has He loved us because we're amazing and wonderful and great people, because we deserve it? No. The extent And the quality of the love with which we have been loved and are loved by God is in the control of God, of the subject. And so we are to look to the way that God has loved us, as needy and helpless and dead as we were to Him, We are to look to that love and to love others in the same way. That is a costly calling, but it's a high and holy calling. We are to love as we have being loved by God, our Father. We are to bear a family resemblance to our Father. We are to look something like the Lord, who we trust and who we follow. Jesus teaches this to us, not just by His words, but by His example. He's he's a rabbi. So if you're learning from a rabbi, it's not like a teacher at a school or a college with all due respect to teachers at school and college and university. It's not like you just turn up and you've got your reslot and your timetable. You turn up, you get your lesson, then you walk away and you both go on with your lives. As, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we see what we are to become as we look to the life that Jesus lived. So he teaches us how we are to love, but he also models it for us. He is, our, he is the, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who are we to love? How are we to love? Why are we to love, lastly? We are to love because Jesus has loved us. We didn't deserve it. We could never have earned it. We were enemies of God. And he reached out. He reached down to love us, to lift us up, to wash us clean, to welcome us in to his family forever. How dishonoring it would be to that God were we to refuse to love others with the love that is ours in Christ. When we're hungry, we feed ourselves. When we're thirsty, we drink. When we're cold, we seek shelter. When we're ill, we do what we can to get better. Love others as you love yourself. Jesus presents us with this example, a surprising example, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan we call him. And we're to look to his example and to go and do likewise. But of course, a true example isn't the Samaritan. The true example is Jesus, who reached down in costly love to live in the midst of the mess of this broken and sinful world left the unimaginable glories of heaven to be born as a baby in Bethlehem in a stable with the noise and the smell, the the, the lack of, of dignity of that environment. And he lived in the brokenness of our world. With suffering and sorrow, he experienced grief and loss and rejection And betrayal and abandonment. He experienced even death, and not just any death, but death on a cross for us in love. That we might share in the blessings that are rightfully His, that is love. That is the perfect picture of love. And Jesus says to us today, go and do likewise. Let's pray together.